Hello. Hello, testing. So this is part two of our podcast about the sublime in popular music. Um, Just a nice, tight little topic. Easy to go <laughs> over in like half an hour, as we've proven. Yes, a nice, tight little two-hour playlist as well, um, <laughs> in which a good portion of the songs what, yeah. are around the 20-minute mark. In which, yeah, like half of the playlist is the final song <laughs> <laughs> okay cool so uh, i'll just we'll just briefly like set up where we were so uh you're my friend james you may introduce yourself again if you wish or you don't have to bother really <laughs> hello um i'm james um jake and i've been about many things including music for a few years and beyond what i've learned from those conversations i have no other credentials to talk about music there's no such thing as credentials to talk about music. <laughs> there's no such thing. There's there's no like a standard. I say that because if there were, I, I'm afraid I probably wouldn't meet them myself. Um, we'd need so, to stop immediately. <laughs> yeah, we'd need to stop immediately. Um, so last week we did the majority of a playlist I made about the Sublime. The majority in terms of number of songs, in terms of the actual bulk of the music, is, I think it's pretty much half and half. Um, but yeah, I think we we should just briefly kind of recover again about you know what the sublime is because it's such a big topic, um, and I guess a good way to do it actually, which, which I didn't do last time because you know I'm not a hack, um, <laughs> but I am now for some reason, is just you know Wikipedia, the Wikipedia, yeah, sublime philosophy page, in aesthetics the sublime. <laughs> is a quality of greatness, whether physical, moral, intellectual, metaphysical, aesthetic, spiritual, or artistic. The term especially refers to a greatness beyond all possibility of calculation, measurement, or imitation. Basically, really, it's, it's hard to sum it up in a better way than that, but that kind of feeling of grandiosity, not even grandiosity, that, even, that sounds potentially more pejorative or snide, but that feeling of, like, hugeness and awe and bit of fear mixed in there i think i think that's kind of the best way Just to sum like it up utter conceptual bigness yes yeah yeah um philosophical enormity as well as kind of aesthetic and physical yeah size. yeah so yeah yeah exactly um and the playlist itself starts with well i kind of ordered it in a kind of light to dark way and I think once we get to these last few songs, it'll become clear that the the kind of the mixture of fear within that sense of awe increases, and the feeling of kind of rapturous joy in it in things kind of decreases. <laughs> I think that's probably the way I would I would put it. Um, yeah, there's still very much a sense of rapture, but the tone of it changes. Yeah, yeah. Where it ding alters a bit. I yeah, yeah. And um, for anyone who does think this is a does think this is a weird subject, it's it's largely because I feel like it's not a not a theme, it's not a tone or vibe <laughs> that is very much in popular music. It's more of a thing that's for like classical music, like stereotypically anyway. But you know, it's it's there within like landscape painting and things like that, and in films. Um, 
and yeah film philosophy and fiction yeah but it's not i don't think it's something most people would immediately think for popular music and i'm defining popular music in mm. pretty wide terms here but you know so far we've hit the beach boys and crosby stills and nash and dan deacon these are very much not they're very much pop. they make pop music yeah yeah exactly um so yeah last time we finished with an emerson lake and palmer song that you were singularly un- unimpressed with <laughs> <laughs> I was unimpressed mostly for a singular reason, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had uh, mostly, I was going to say mixed, but that's not quite right. <laughs> they were quite, yeah, as you said, singular. Um, I mean, a mixture of disgust and, and disgust. <laughs> yes, different flavours of disgust, but um some of the other songs I was really glad to have been introduced to, um, particularly in the context of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was really good to have that kind of ends to view them through. Yeah, yeah. Um, particularly for something as hard to define as the sublime, it's it's really interesting seeing what feels and sounds that way to someone else. Because yes, for yeah, something yeah. that's almost about sheer enormous objectivity it's so subjective yes yeah yeah and you you sent me some songs which we'll get to well we can get to whenever really and it's really interesting that i listen to it and i'm like yes yes i see exactly where he's coming from but i would never have chosen these (laughs) yeah um and there were but i think we we both felt that way about one of us choices in places but that's why it's so kind of cool and interesting to meet in the middle Yes, and yeah. discuss them on the same ground and in the yeah, same yeah. terms. Exactly, yeah. Um, what was I going to say there? Yeah, I think as before, it's kind of pointless as spending too long talking about what the sublime is. And, you know, there's a whole history of it going back to, you know, ancient times. And there's no point of us going into that too much because it's not very interesting from mm. people who aren't really that <laughs> clued upon it. <laughs> Go go go! Read a book about it if you're interested. Go read Wikipedia. That's probably more informing, uh, inform you to a better degree than we will. But what we could do is talk about what we think about the songs we chose. Um, do you want to wrap up my playlist first, or should we move to yours? Or... Let's wrap up yours because um, I think um, what I wanted to bring in, um, which is almost more of a artist to introduce a concept. Uh, than anything else actually kind of bounces off um, the final few songs in a couple of interesting ways so yeah let's let's cool. finish your playlist first yeah, yeah let's do that okay so the next one on my playlist was a very long in and it's not really what I would call a song but it's three seconds shy of 20 minutes um, <laughs> and it's called Birth of Liquid Pleiades by Tangerine Dreams of the album Zeit um this is a really hard song to kind of play a sample from because... Where do you start? Where yeah. do you stop? <laughs> like, where's the highlight? Um... Tangerine Dream are kind of 
They're almost a bit of a meme, I think, sometimes as well. People vaguely know who they are a lot of the time, and they, you know, Krautrock ambient stuff generally is quite memeable because it's so weird and... It sounds so much like what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, the cat is back. I see the cat is back. Yeah, the cat is back. <laughs> Guest star. I don't know if you um, got thing, but he was just coughing noisily in a corner. So. <laughs> I don't think I've now he's heard. being cute instead of gross. <laughs> um, so Tangerine Dream, yeah, the one of the original kind of ambient... Oh, here's the purring. <laughs> Very cute. Ambient kraut rock dudes. To us, I don't need to spend too much on this song, partly because I added it to the playlist originally when I just kind of dumped tons of songs in and forgot to take it out. So I, <laughs> I, I kind of subjected you to it uh, unnecessarily. But I do think, I mean, everything down to, I mean, the album is Zeit, which is the German word for time. Mm -hmm. uh, Birth of Liquid Pleiades. Pleiades is both a classical references reference. I can't remember what two exactly. Seven Celestial Sisters or something like that. Um Spelt differently, but I can. I mean, yes. I think that'll seven just... sisters, and they've got stars named after them. Yeah, that that would be down the down to the whole German classical uh -huh. spelling of Greek words, I guess. I um, think they're the muses, aren't they? Are they? Yeah, maybe. I'm such a philistine, <laughs> but it's also yeah. You might be wrong. It's also like a, a cluster of stars in space. So already it's ticking off a lot of boxes to do with sublime. Um, you could argue almost self-consciously so, or like a bit try-hard, but given that it's not an obnoxious, pretentious uh, prog rock song like the Emerson Lake of Palmer one, it's a lot harder to dismiss it offhand as just obnoxiously pretentious. It's, I think it's an effective piece of ambient music for what it is. It's not necessarily yeah. a track I love, but it does kind of sound like the universe. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, I would describe it as feeling hymnic, hymn-like, like um, a lot of the previous songs did. Um, but it's almost kind of approaching that in a very different way now. It feels less like a hymn from kind of um, the big acoustic uh, cathedral-esque spaces of the High Middle Ages, and more like a hymn from sort of Frank Herbert's Duneverse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's very kind of testament angels speaking in caps saying be not afraid. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and that's what felt sort of sublime about it to me. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's, it it's not... feels sublime rather than yeah, um yeah. rather than having a lot of, for instance, lyrical content speaking about the sublime. It's not about the sublime, it is attempting to be sublime yes yeah yeah um it's kind of hard to talk about the music of tangerine dream and this song in particular because they're so often more like music adjacent than they are like music <laughs> <laughs> i like that phrase <laughs> and i don't mean that in a pejorative sense at all because it's a very effective version of what it is but in all mm. honesty i myself don't necessarily very often listen to this um it's a soundscape rather than a song really isn't it yeah yeah so you have it in the background and it sounds cool um yeah. but yeah um i think did, did, yeah, you actually, I... did you sit down and listen to the whole thing then like yeah attentively as well i i didn't sit down in a dark room and <laughs> shut my eyes and just let it kind of wash over me but 
a big part of me wishes that I did and had that kind of time. Um, I mean, I've but, never done I've never done that myself with this, but but um, I did listen to the whole thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, honestly, like the the part of me that likes that kind of thing and loves sort of Godspeed You Black Emperor and yeah, the other say. like adjacent uh, projects that that same collective did um really likes this like i love me a background drone um i love having no idea what instruments are actually being used because they're being used in a way that creates sound instead of music um and um yeah i i really liked the kind of um as i said sort of dune journey that it took me on um in terms of just how it felt and the sort of images that it put in my mind mm-hmm. um but other than that i don't think i have sort of the expertise and it doesn't have the lyrics for me to go yeah, that yeah, hard yeah. into analyzing it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it just kind of is and it's cool yeah yeah i think uh, yeah i mean as i said we don't need to spend too long on this song and i think you just summed it up best by just saying it is more than any other song here it just it merely is it kind of it's more of a it sits there kind of passively it's not mm. catchy it's not sing along in any way um it doesn't rock <laughs> uh, do you know what i mean it, it's it's just yeah. kind of it hasn't got a contagious groove to it I, yeah. <laughs> I mean it has a groove but it's not contagious i mean yeah it doesn't even approach rhythm in any kind of normal no. way um I, I think it's the kind of song that I'll, I'll put a sample in for people to listen to a brief section of and i think people should listen to it if they like the sound of it and like the idea of the ambient sounds of the universe <laughs> played through yes. like 1970s um german dude synthesizers <laughs> um that's pretty much about as much i have to say with any sophistication on that song um <laughs> But the next one is one of my favorite. Next one, songs. I have a lot of notes. <laughs> this <laughs> I I love this song. So this is called um, so it's by Van de Graaff Generator. Uh, it's off their album Still Life, which I think was nineteen seventy six. I'm pretty sure that's right. And it's called Childlike Faith in Childhood's End. Again, not Good quite name. as long, but it's a, it's a decently long song at twelve minutes thirty eight. It's very lonely here Our only conjecture What lies behind the dark I think it shows a lot about how much prog I listen to that I'm now like, oh yes, <laughs> that's a relatively short song. Um, yes. 12 minutes 38 it's 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 it is long Uh, yeah it is long i'll give it that um 12 minutes is the two minute 40 second punk song of prog (laughs) yes yeah yeah. (laughs) um i'm not gonna say much beyond well for now beyond i absolutely love this song and i'm gonna hand it over to you for any comments or thoughts to start off with but maybe i'll set it up and be like what do you think it's about okay um so at that point, I almost get unsure where to start, um, because... It's about everything. It's about a lot, yes. <laughs> um, I feel like, for one thing, it 
comes from a place of talking about a few things that have come up before. So, for instance, it kind of starts out with a lot of ideas that came up, for instance, in uh, When I Was Done Dying, um, the kind of illusory and repetitive nature of existence, ideas of kind of reincarnation, Plato's cave, and something just beyond that veneer, that veil, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and from there, it kind of becomes this, like, anthemic celebration of and almost kind of melancholy pining for cosmic ascendance through, like, the annihilation of all life into <laughs> all existence. So, yeah, yes. like, <laughs> it's cool. Like, it, it presents, I would say, if I had to, like, sum it up really quickly, I'd say it revolves around this kind of idea of almost like a godless rapture. It's yeah, not yeah, religious. Yeah. It's like a... I wrote down Ragnarok of Reason, <laughs> yes. which sounds incredibly Reddit, <laughs> and I hate that about it. But but, it sounds very Van de Graaff generator, which is obviously completely appropriate. <laughs> also, yes. I mean, firstly, I just want to make a comment about the name of the band. It's, it's obviously the coolest name for any band ever. Um, <laughs> Van de Graaff generator, brilliant. It's so prog. Um, and given their name, they make music which is every bit as nerdy as you would expect. I mean, yep. some of the some of the lyrics in here. I think he says something about we will make computations of the stars. Yes, which is not a standard rock lyric. Uh, suffice. There's to a say. lot of non-standard rock lyrics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, you you completely nailed um, what the song is about. Um, so, I did ask you not to research it and stuff, so you won't know that it's based on an Arthur C. Clarke novel. Mm. Or is it even a novel? It's, I think it's a relatively yeah, it's a novel. Um, I think it's just called Childhood's End. I, I, I've not read it mm -hmm. myself, but I've read about it. But basically, humans are contacted by like an extraterrestrial species who basically... Um, all the adults, their children, like the children of the, the Earth, um, are essentially taken to the next step of evolution by these aliens and are granted all these like hyper-intellectual super intelligent powers including like reading minds and things mm -hmm. like that um and essentially they completely ascend beyond all the adults of the world and leave them behind and i think they kind of it's all about how like we normal humans are left behind whilst all our children you know ascend and there's no hope now for the the adult generation who never have any children beyond that um, was this a... written in the 60s and 70s by any chance? Yes, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm probably mangling it a bit, but that, that's from what I've read, essentially it. It's about, yeah, you know, future generations. I think the song itself is about, because the song itself doesn't explicitly give that story. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's about future generations completely <laughs> like transcending beyond the past and just being so completely... You know, like, our next generation being as far ahead of us as we are compared to amoebas or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that, like, massive gulf between um, parents and children in this weird sci-fi story. Um, you said it so much more eloquently than I did, but that's basically <laughs> it. Um, and 
to me, this is... There is something terrifying in that, isn't there? Like, imagine if you were in that story and you were the adults and, like, you knew that you were the last generation and all, you know, the entire planet's children have now, like, evolved so far beyond you that you just can't understand it and they just abandon you and that's effectively the end of the human race because whatever they are that has gone on to continue... Um, yeah. Just, they're not, they're like... not you anymore. <laughs> I almost feel like it's in a much smaller way, what parents and adults have been both proud of and afraid of in their children, generation after generation, forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, it's been happening since um, whichever uh, Greek philosopher it was that complained about how all kids do now is... Um, read books and yeah, yeah. <laughs> understand the written word and um, well there were great like news stories from like the early 20th century where people were like oh you know culture is so different now and all people do is you know read their newspapers when they're on public transport and public because i guess it's the start of public transport you yeah. know no one talks to each other they're just sitting there with their noses in these newspapers it's, it's just terrible children these days and i think it's always Again, this is a bit of a meme, isn't it? I think it's always Aristotle that people say said it. I'm not sure if it's true, but that he mm. was complaining in ancient Greece about, you know, the kids these days aren't, I don't know, running off into the wilderness to kill their first wolf and instead, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think in a way it's They have like, no respect for their parents and they're all writing books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it, is the paraphrase. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's essentially, yeah. So this song is like a macrocosm of that. It's basically painting that in like a universal way, um, and uh, yeah, as I said, Van der Graaff generator are very nerdy, and as you can tell from everything <laughs> we just said, you know, basing a a twelve and a half minute prog epic on uh, an Arthur C. Clarke novel is sorry, uh, I lost you there. I think what did you? Um, yeah, just basing a twelve and a half minute prog epic on a classic science fiction story yeah it's very cool <laughs> but i mean i love this song like but to the music itself it's like this is this is why what you said last episode i think really is true and i i didn't necessarily do it consciously but after like doing the playlist i realized it is the case that it kind of loop starts looping back around to the start in a weird way because it i mm -hmm. think van der Graaff generator in so many ways just like a uh a complete topsy-turvy topsy subversion of the Beach Boys. Like, they use so many of the same instruments, actually. Like, there's organ in there. Really? Yeah, there's a bit of vibraphone. It's vocal-heavy. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not guitar-based. It'll actually have, like, saxophone and stuff like that, and a bit of woodwind. And yeah. just the way it's highlighted in the Beach Boys versus Van de Graaff Generator is completely the opposite. Um... And the singer, Peter Hamill, he was a, uh, he was like a church singer growing up. You know, he was in all okay. these choirs and stuff. And you wouldn't necessarily, in a way, he has a similar background to the Beach Boys, who weren't choir singers, but have that, you know, vocal. <laughs> what is your cat doing? <laughs> Just fidgeting around, trying to get comfortable. Bothering me. <laughs> um, but whereas the Beach Boys, you can hear a kind of like vocal 
band choral feel to it, even if they, they you know, they mm. weren't in a church choir or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, they're very harmony heavy. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Van de Graaff generated Peter Pamel's vocals are very like performative and as a complete subversion of the Beach Boys, almost invariably ugly. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Yes. Like sort of bombastically and impressively and I think like very charismatically so, but not beautiful. Yeah. Whereas I would say the Beach Boys are almost that above all else. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think they're it, really sort of aesthetically pleasing. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's it's that's what I mean. Like they're the opposite sides of the same coin in that they, mm. you know, they're from a similar time period, very similar instrumentation. They could both get quite complex. Um Van de Graaff Generator are obviously prog, so they have longer songs. But whereas the Beach Boys are unrelentingly like nice, pretty <laughs> if you're gonna be tepid about it, or I would say beautiful, whereas I don't think anyone could be tepid in their description of Van de Graaff Generator. They are unrelentingly ugly. Maybe not unrelentingly, but nearly Or just intense. Intense. Like, yes, yeah, yeah. They they are not a sort of smooth and comforting and comfortable listening experience i think there are moments i guess even in the next song that we'll have by them at the very end of this playlist there are moments um in that song i won't mention it now where it does become a bit more placid and almost beautiful but it's yeah, only really there to highlight how ugly it's about to get <laughs> or how ugly it's been yes yeah yeah, yeah. Um... um sorry you go on yeah, I mean, um, you say that you really like this song. I actually really liked it as well. And I think um, I hadn't heard it before, um, but I, I really appreciated it. I really appreciated having a chance to listen to it um, with the lyrics in front of me and go, right, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting where this is going. I'm getting where this has come from. I'm getting where this is. Um, and particularly um i think what stuck with me and worked for me peter hamill's vocals um mm. like as you said they're they're not um they're not beautiful or melodious or harmonious or anything but they are very good like yes, yeah, uh, they, yeah. they really work and he has a real sense of performance um to to his singing mm -hmm. um like basically i really like it but i don't know how to feel about liking it <laughs> and i feel like i kind of like it for the same reasons i like a lot of musical theater and that makes that feeling a bit worse <laughs> like, um so both the kind of performancey vocals the sense of i guess levels throughout the song mm. um the fact that it has a story to it, but not necessarily in a narrative sense. It's like a catalog of um, a catalog of stages of feeling. Um, yes, yeah. In the way that a lot of uh, musical theatre is, because obviously they don't need to tell the story. It doesn't need to be narrative because you've been watching the play. Um, but what they do do is express. Um, the the phases or the moment of of feeling there in quite a narrative way um and i feel like this this does that but it's also um very anthemic in a way that 
surprised me that I liked yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Because anthemic songs don't usually do it for me, but the bits when this song kind of goes full anthem, um, so the verse that starts though the towers of the city and the verse that starts all the jokers and jailers all the jokers and jailers all the junkies and slavers too all the people who have danced for me too I was gonna say that's those my... are the bits that I like best yes yeah yeah I, I love that. All the jokers and jailers. I mean, I cannot yeah. do any justice to it. Um, it's just, and it, because it's, I feel like it, it really makes you, the song really works for the anthemic bits. Mm. You know, this is not, I mean, I do like Queen, but this is not Queen. This is not anthemic from the beginning. This isn't, you know, we are the champions. Yeah. Um, it builds, it's the levels. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it, it really like, drags you through some shit to get to the really anthemic yeah. bit and when it gets in anthemic we are the champion sorry I was just in we say, are the champions they sorry carry on <laughs> um when it when it's anthemic it's even then it's not anthemic in an obviously straightforward catchy way it's mm. it's still weird and it still has that like he has that brutality in his voice um that just means that you're not really listening to a rock anthem. It's not a stadium anthem. It's yeah. a, it's a, I don't know what it's a, I'm on a spaceship hurtling towards the sun. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It's that kind of anthem. I, there's, I have no base. will be glorious and blissful. Yes. And yeah, deserved. Yeah. 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 This, I have no like kind of baseline to compare it to. It's anthemic. Yes. But that's just still kind of the wrong word. Although it's still, it's the right word. I don't know. It's yeah. yeah. Sorry, you got to say something about We Are The Champions or something. Yeah, I think that just, um, you mentioning that uh, really highlights the sense of levels in this song. In um, in We Are The Champions, they are the champions from the absolute start of the song. And yes, they yeah. remain the champions throughout <laughs> the whole song. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. this one, there's this process of struggling and becoming. Um, and I find that really satisfying. It works yeah, really yeah. well in this. Um and and all of the kind of repeat references to uh, fear but aspiration or fear but triumph, um, you know, trepidation but knowing that this is worthwhile really adds to that. It's the cont contrasts that yeah, make see, it work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that in particular at the end it goes back to uh, saying that um you know it's sad we're back in the narrative present um yeah, knowing yeah. that this point in time is infinitely far away and though dark is the highway and the peak's distance breaks my heart for i shall never for i never shall see it still i play my part i know dark is the highway and the peak's distance breaks my heart For I never shall see it Still I play my part And it's like, yes! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I was going to say, it kind of, it really leans quite heavily on that, you know, life as a 
play, that kind of Shakespearean motive. You know, the mm. opening line is existence is a stage on which we pass. You know, it's... Yeah, there's echoes of Macbeth in that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I was going to say, I love the song, but it's also not really being subtle. It's really hitting you over the head with its... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. Um, <laughs> but um, what was I going to say? But not in the way that Emerson, Lake and Palmer are in that other song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's adequate. Like, it's actually the head and they... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's adequate to the task at hand. Um, I, I think it's just great. I think it's one of the songs, the first time I heard it, it's what I said earlier. Like, I don't know how to talk about this song or what to think about it. I, I knew I liked it, but I was like, this is not like, not like other songs. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um... And it's, I think it's, yeah, I just think it's so great. And Van de Graaff Generator are a weird band who have a few songs I really, really love. Well, maybe more than a few, but they never had like an album that I love all the way through because mm. they don't really, they're, they're tonally quite limited. And I think this is quite a hard thing to pull off. Do you know what I mean? So they don't really yeah. try to be catchy or try to rock in any kind of straightforward standard way. And I think if you're trying to, they're always trying to do something weird to you emotionally. And I think it's very hard to pull off. Therefore, they, you know, they, they quite often end up being a bit inconsistent. But I'm, I think I almost always come away thinking, I'm glad they tried it. It was, it was a noble failure, a valiant defeat rather than merely being shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's what's the incredibly hackneyed phrase about how if you shoot for the stars, at least maybe you'll end up at the moon or something. I think if you shoot right. for the moon, you'll land amongst the stars. I think. Oh, right. That's okay. how I heard it. But yes, that. Um, thank you for that uh, injection of cliche. Um, like overreach still takes you some interesting places sometimes, even if you don't quite hit the mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I think this does. I think this absolutely hits the mark, definitely. Um, I mean, I love it. I... Van de Graaff Generator, like, if anyone's listening, they think, oh, I'll give a listen to them. I do want people to listen to them with a fair warning that they're probably something of an acquired taste, <laughs> but I love them. Um, and I genuinely can't choose between this song and the song we have at the end of this playlist, but we'll get to that at the end. Um, mm. And then we should probably move on to our next song, unless you have anything well, else. I just wanted to um, sort of quickly ask you how you feel this song specifically relates to the sublime because it does but i wanted to sort of get your take on it oh yes i was going to say um i was also going to say have you seen the film her i think you have have we talked about no this? i haven't I, I know it but i haven't seen it so it's like walking phoenix and scarlett johansson and she well she's not actually in it it's her voice yeah she's like an ai she's and, like his ai pa yeah yeah and they essentially fall in love I don't want to spoil it. There's very similar themes in that to this. Okay. Um, and there's a, again, there's, it's a great film. It's beautiful. But there's also something vaguely terrifying about AI full stop anyway, but also that sense of mm. something one generation has created just completely transcending them. And I think yeah. that's where the sublime comes in. It's that sense of, you know, it's the future. And I think we could all, it's kind of like if you cast your mind back to, you know, who our ancestors, you know, 200,000 years must be, um, you know, some hairy caveman bashing at a shellfish on a beach trying to suck out its juices, you know what I mean? Like, 
we are yeah. so far beyond them that would they even know that we're connected with the you know if if you could go back in time would would they even be smart enough to comprehend that where we are now the species is, we've become yeah yeah it, like i mean that's like we're still the same species you know that's not so far but we're so culturally and technologically and intellectually or whatever far ahead of them that uh, would they even be aware of that to me it feels inherently like terrifying to think of that like in a million years if our species has survived and evolved will we you know we're potentially going to be so intellectually or whatever ahead of where we are now that that is awesome and like in the literal sense of inspiring yeah. awe in you and it's it is terrifying a bit to me the kind of enormity of that and the kind of really underlines how puny we are i guess to the grand scale of the universe physically and like temporally that's that's to me where the sublime is and then in terms of just sheer music it has it ticks all those kind of boxes of you know like a lot of organ driven epic vocals um big drums multi-layered space vocals opera. as well yeah space opera it really is a space opera yeah yeah <laughs> um i think this song is space opera more than any other song i might have ever heard <laughs> yeah. um and it's kind of, I think we'll get onto these kind of closely related terms in a bit, but it has like a kind of grim, dark feel to it. Yes, not in the same, so. not in a di- It's not. It's it's kind of adjacent to it because it's not directly, but there is something grim, dark about it. It starts to touch upon it. I think it almost succeeds because of what at least I would identify as being grimdark it's all that kind of brutality and fear and contrast yeah and especially the contrast is what makes the optimism isn't quite the right word aspiration of it yeah yeah hit that much harder and kind of shine that much brighter yes, and yeah, contrast yeah. i think is what makes grimdark work or fail for me yeah, yeah, you need the. I think this makes it. This works on it. Yeah, yeah, you need the noble bright. I think, as they say. <laughs> for anyone who I've not heard that phrase, have you not heard that? Um, no. So, for anyone listening, this is this is where we get very nerdy. But grimdark is a kind of um, adjective that comes from the Warhammer Forty Thousand universe, and I think it's just because the rule books probably still do. I don't know. I mean, I haven't played it since like being a teenager, but. They always opened with, in the grim darkness of the, fu- the the far future, something like that, and people just kind of, um, shoved those two words together. And grim dark is the adjective that applies to the world because it's set forty thousand years or thirty eight thousand years into the future, or whatever. And, you know, the human civilization has spread across the galaxy, um, and we've kind of gone through peaks and troughs of civilization. But essentially, at this point in the future, we're barely hanging together galaxy-spanning empire, which is essentially just feudalistic, fascistic, religious, totalitarian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's very medieval. And incomprehensibly huge. Yes, and yeah, yeah, decent- yeah. Well, centralised, but um, detached. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the entire universe is, like, deeply, deeply antagonistic towards all life (laughs) um (laughs) and in fact all human life seems pretty antagonistic towards all human life 
Um, and there are other bunch of like alien species in there that all hate each other and there's essentially demons. And, you know, this is a whole backstory for a tabletop battle game. But you know, there are associated novels and computer games and stuff, but it's it's a huge kind of um, piece of world building that I really like, even though I haven't mm. played the game for ages, I always like keep up with the story because I think it's cool. Um, and it co coined a phrase that became descriptive of a whole kind of subgenre and movement within speculative fiction in general. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know, sort of puts forward grey morality. Um, well, grey morality is about as good as you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and um, sort of a sense of enormous contrast. Uh, and usually people put it forward as sort of being uniformly pessimistic um, and having in um humanity or indeed like sapient life in general um but again this is where i think the contrast comes in grimdark for me doesn't succeed by beating you in the face with how awful everything is constantly it succeeds by establishing that as the baseline and then letting points shine through right 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 yeah yeah so that's what this song does do <laughs> yes um there's a summit and that yes, summit yeah, is yeah. bright. Yeah, yeah. Um, whew, that was a big topic. But I mean, it's such a good song, and it, it's it's one of those songs that yes, it beats you over its head with its kind of themes or whatever, and it's not necessarily subtle. But I think it's so well done, and perfectly executed. Um, mm. I personally, I wouldn't shave a second off it. It's one of those songs that I get to the end of it, I'm always like, oh, it's ended. It's sad that this song is not infinitely long. I, I love it. I love it so much. Um, and yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think honestly, um, without uh, without necessarily shitting on any of the other songs in here, I think this was actually my favourite on the playlist. Ah, good. Hmm. It's, it's a good one to have as a favourite because, yeah, it is definitely top three maybe for me. Okay. Yes. So cool. That's one Van de Graaff generator song down. We'll get to the other one in a while. <laughs> um, should we move on to the next song in the playlist then? Yeah. From a song that is either deeply, deeply ironic or deeply, deeply serious to a song which I also feel must be either deeply ironic <laughs> or deeply serious. And yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about it either way. <laughs> uh, so this song is called He Is. Um, oh, by another band from this millennium. <laughs> so this is another 21st, <laughs> 21st century band um, by a band called Ghost. Um, off of their album Meliora. Um, one of the shorter songs on playlist. Okay, my cat is here now. Okay, there you go, Harry. Hey, Harry. Um, bye, Harry. <laughs> bye, Harry. Um, yeah, so I might just hand this over to you. Um, you've already given some of your thoughts, but and I'm making um, a face. <laughs> making moment. a face. Do you know the band? Have you heard any of this? No, like they're they're what? Like a a Swedish black metal band. I I'm not sure if I would call well, them black, really metal. black metal. No, like... they have that kind of aesthetic on the surface, mm. but to me, they're just like a '70s rock band. 
That's what they sound like. They sound like... This song sounds like equal, equal parts Black Sabbath. The guitar solo could be ripped almost directly from a Thin Lizzy song. Um, it has slight feels of Deep Purple or Rainbow. Um, but with what I've always assumed is a, an ironic edge to it. I think it is. I don't know too mm. much about them. A lot of people do like them. And a lot of people who I know who like them do not necessarily think they're a serious band. So I, I just can't... I don't think they are. I don't think they're being deadly serious. I don't take them seriously. I don't think they're... They're not a serious band. Um, I, they I, seem like they're having a laugh. And yes, I yeah, have yeah. off listening to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, so the song is lyrically a hymn to Satan. I mean, Yeah, it's, it's, I was about to say. It, <laughs> it's really it that straightforward. <laughs> It feels to me less like um, I've not listened to any of their other stuff, but this song feels to me less like Sabbath and stuff. It doesn't have that kind of groove to it, that sludgy sort of um, sludgy grooviness. It feels more like a Luciferian Christian rock song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It very much has like a Christian rock feel to it as well. Um, yeah, maybe this song is a bit less Black Sabbath than some of the other stuff, but... Um... There's a kind of almost Led Zeppelin feel to the acoustic, but no, maybe not. No, there's a oh, rainbow maybe. song. It certainly reminds me of actually. Okay. It does sound. It feels a lot like a lot of seventies rock, but actually, for for a hymn to Satan, it's also a lot <laughs> cleaner feeling. It's it's very slick. It's almost like squeaky clean. <laughs> yes, which I think is why it works actually for me as a song because it really is just a subversion of a christian rock mm. song because if you change, yeah. you just need to change a few lyrics and it is a squeaky clean rock hymn to god but they're lyrically you need to change a few lyrics or not listen very carefully yes, and yeah, that yeah. could be absolutely what you take away from it yeah yeah, yeah. um and I, this is one of the songs like <laughs> i just shoved it in here because i think it's interesting to listen to and i wouldn't necessarily call the song sublime but i think its connection to it is kind of obvious and it definitely has that feel of literally just getting hymnal feel and just flipping it upside down, completely subverting yeah. it and just, just doing it in a really straightforward way. Whereas Van de Graaff Generator is subverting other, subverting instruments that can you be used to sound a bit more beautiful or to, to rock in a straightforward way and they're mm. doing it in a weird way. Ghosts really are just subverting something really straightforwardly squeaky clean and just being Someone like very boring's idea of the sublime yes yeah, yeah yeah but because they're clearly being ironic and i'm gonna have to assume they are because i like the song and it would spoil <laughs> it for me if they're being deadly serious um i think it works really well and it is catchy i like the guitar solo um i, I, I don't love it it's not one of my favorite songs on here but it's definitely worth being here as a kind of ironic tongue-in-cheek parody of rock, like Christian rock, I guess. It's mm. almost not straightforwardly that either. Like the whole aesthetic of the band is that, is that kind of like anti-Christ kind of subverted Catholic church thing. But they're not, their music to me is just not super heavy. It's not really, you know, a genuine, serious kind of black metal thing at all. I mean, it, it's only aesthetically that they seem like they would be that band, but actually yeah. they're a bit, they're a lot more hammer horror meets um, <laughs> Christian rock. Yeah. 
they don't feel confrontational or uh controversial or subversive really yeah yeah yeah. it's it's more like they're just having fun with something too big to feel the punches yeah 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 <laughs> um i was gonna say that uh can't remember it probably wasn't very important otherwise i would have remembered it um i don't necessarily need feel the need to talk too much about this oh, song but i, I like it two bullet points for this one <laughs> <laughs> um you should listen to a song they have called cerise which is a bit more okay. of a heavy rocker and it's kind of more black sabbathy um but for both of the songs i think the thing that really highlights or underlines that kind of squeaky clean feeling is the vocals which aren't bad but they're very they're very kind of smooth aren't they they're not it's like confrontational again that's the kind of word they're not really they're quite plain actually i guess the vocals. yeah in that way that kind of christian rock is like yeah. it's just so um it's produced in a way to make it as inoffensive to any yeah, yeah. palette as possible yeah, yeah, yeah um which is why i I can't help but appreciate this that they've just done everything to make them as inoffensive as possible and then you know they're they're singing about how great satan is <laughs> it's something it's, that we could all do with doing more <laughs> i i don't think it's enough to make it a genius song but i always appreciate it it's something <laughs> i listen to occasionally i'm like yeah you know i'm, I'm glad i'm glad I'm glad that it and I exist in the same world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that was my feeling. Like, I didn't necessarily uh, love it or even necessarily like it that much, but I found it funny and I'm glad that someone's doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So, yeah, quickly done with that one, but we're going to take mm. a very sharp left turn into Weirdsville again, <laughs> I feel. Um, yeah, that was a good little palate cleanser and now now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a band called Gentle Giant. Uh, the song is Pantagruel's Nativity, off of an album called Acquiring the Taste. So have, you, have you seen the uh, album cover for this? I have, yes. It's a big tongue, but uh, also a butt. <laughs> yes um so it's one of the most infamously hated uh, album covers of all time um for quite obvious reasons i think i mean the tongue it, even by itself is just a huge salivating tongue and the fact that it's kind of levitating above some butt cheeks is not really very helpful um i don't find it comforting <laughs> <laughs> well, reassuring. The, thing, <laughs> the thing about this album cover is um it was like a double gatefold sleeve. So if you opened it up, it turned actually, turned out that actually it wasn't a bum. It was a peach. Um, and uh, they're just, they're kind of making a joke that like, this is, this is what our music is like. You will acquire the taste. Um, and we will the, make butts taste of peaches, <laughs> musically speaking. So the, the question here is James, do you think you did or could acquire the taste <laughs> for this song? Um, I, Hmm. I don't think it quite caught me, no. Like, um, 
I found it interesting. I thought there were some some cool bits. So like I like, uh, for instance, the guitar solo and the kind of discount counterpoint through uh, what is it like two minutes twenty? Sorry, um, which bit was that? I, I lost you briefly. There's this um, guitar solo and then guitar and sort of discant counterpoint vocals that come oh, through yes, at about yeah, 220. Yeah. Um, and I quite liked that. And I think there's there's a lot of ways in which it returns to almost where we started with that kind of um, medieval devotional music um, vibe, but in a very kind of chaotic and I think quite subversive way where it's less... Um, straightforward, beautiful, and feels more like, um, it's like comparing traditional medieval religious paintings to Hieronymus Bosch. Right, it yeah, feels yeah. very, very Bosch. Yeah, um, Bosch. <laughs> very Bosch. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, maybe, maybe I just got that from the Rabelais as well, who obviously was much later, but kind of in my mind looks a lot like Bosch paintings. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, there's there's a lot of stuff that I find interesting about it, but I wouldn't necessarily say that um, I loved it or it stuck with me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a it's a really weird. It's quite weird, I think. It's that's accurate. Yeah, um, they're a weird band. They're always a bit odd. They're almost like orthogonal to good music in a way like it's almost like they're purposely coming at you from a weird angle and just being like we're not just gonna we're not going to try our hardest to write the most emotionally effective or catchy song mm. we're going to come at you and write the most kind of subverted weird mutated freak of a song yeah Without, we're not going to serve you a pop song today. <laughs> yes, yeah. Without, they're they're definitely a prog band, and a lot of people would say that they're one of the best. So I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Um, but for a prog band, then they're pretty light on their like virtuosity. I think I think they they can play with vir- you know with like technique, but they tend not to hit you over the head with lots of flash playing. Mm-hmm. What they'll do is weird chord changes, weird harmonies, weird time signatures weird lyrics um and actually the production like this song is quite sparse compared to a lot of prog songs it's mm. quite there's not necessarily tons going on at once but and it's it quite up, repetitive rather than having a lot of different movements and things. yes yeah yeah it's got almost like a, vo- a verse chorus structure yeah 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 and in spite of that making it almost sound tamer or more conventional than a lot of prog it ends up actually being a hell of a in my mind a hell of a lot weird than a lot of it um and for me this is one of the songs where i just put it on here partly to get you to listen to it and get your thoughts on it <laughs> but um what i personally i think it does feel sublime to me but i think this is where the the division between like the modern understanding of the word sublime and you know not the modern but the kind of more um, popular use of it to mean really, really good is different from the mm. actual kind of proper use. Um, because although I'd say it feels very sublime in that kind of um, philosophical sense, I wouldn't say, you know, this song is sublime in a quality sense. I, I do like it, 
but it's one of those songs that to me is just a weird experience and I sometimes feel like having a weird experience listening to music um and it's it feels like it's doing the sublime without it necessarily being one of my favorite songs and I think it's doing that through again that weird subverted this kind of dissonant sounding sounds like counter like traditional kind of well not traditional but like church counterpoint music yeah with like some weird ugly electric guitar some lyrics and the title taken from reference yeah Rabelais I mean Rabelais itself is a weird um, kind of grotesque grotesque carnivalesque weird I mean yeah it's kind of the the archetypal carnivalesque isn't it I guess Mm. Um, I don't really know tons about Rabelais. I mean, maybe you could tell me a bit more. Do you do you know? Uh, I mean, no, that about um, that about does it. Um, yeah. I know about him more from reputation and what he embodies from having rather than having studied him in in depth. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I've probably done the typical reading the Wikipedia as well, and like maybe I, at one point I knew the plot to um, Pantagruel and Gargantua. Um, yeah. but at this point it's just really a cultural reference for me um, <laughs> but I still feel like they've engaged with it well I, like, I have no basis to say that but I feel like they've suitably adopted that weird carnivalesque thing um, yes I would say so yeah yeah um, um, and they actually have another song called uh, The Advent of Panurge and Panurge is another character from it um, and I'll be talking about that song in a future episode, so stay tuned. <laughs> but for now, yeah, this is a really weird song. And look, hey, it's only six minutes fifty, so it's worth anyone listening to. You know, that's a, that's a very short song. You've got a lot of this length of song in the duration of your day. You could listen yeah. to several of this song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I do like it. They're a weird bunch of guys, and they made a lot of weird music. Um, I think... I thought it was cool. I wouldn't say that I necessarily felt like I was actively enjoying it in the way that I did with um, Childlike Faith and Childhood's End, for instance, which just had me. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, I think this was one of the points as well for me where I felt like... Um, these very different conceptions of the sublime came through because mm. it didn't necessarily feel that to me. I was interested to hear what your take and your, um, your reasoning for it was. Yeah, um, yeah. But, um, and it sounds almost like it's, it's coming from this, uh, this place almost of it's craft doing something that is sublime and is reaching for something, um, unusual and beyond yeah 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 i think so for this song yeah i think sometimes just slapping the term sublime on anything that is kind of ineffable and beyond i mean that i mean that that is literally you know the wikipedia definition that we read out earlier like it does fit within that but it is very much just in that whole kind of feeling for me the main reason there is a feeling of what am I listening to? What is this? What is it doing? It's doing something. And it is like emotionally affecting me on a level. Like don't necessarily love the song, but 
it's doing a thing that no other song is doing, and I really struggle putting that into words. And I think the best song that I have ever heard of that was written about Pantagruel and Gargantua. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you know, it's got its own little space. Um, I think for me, sometimes that is enough to just be like, well, it is sublime in some kind of way, um, which isn't necessarily a very sophisticated take on it, but I do think, I do think it's valid. Um, I think you're valid, Jacob. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's got a it's got a beyondness to it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I can it, see that. It doesn't feel alien, but it it feels. Well, it, it does feel alien, but not in the extraterrestrial sense. Yeah. It feels alien to a like normal human emotions and b <laughs> yeah this is not a feeling that i have felt before <laughs> yeah yeah uh and b like probably all other popular music because even something as out there as childlike faith and childhood to end you can describe mm-hmm. in terms of like oh yeah it's a bit anthemic or something like that um whereas pantagruel's nativity is just yeah it's doing a different thing i don't know what it is <laughs> It has found a pale and written a song that lives beyond it in some kind of way. Yes, there we go. There we go. We nailed it. <laughs> cool. Um, We've done it. <laughs> next We've song. solved the puzzle. Next song. <laughs> um, and this next song is where we go really deep into grimdark territory for me. Um, this is by a band called Magma. And oh, dare I even try to pronounce the name of this song? Horst Verden Steckenvest. <laughs> You're more qualified to do so than I am. <laughs> Off of an album called Mechanique Destructive Commando. <laughs> um, Good name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I will just give a bit of background to the band. Um, the band is essentially the brainchild of the drummer who's called Christian Vander, who was kind of a jazz fusion drummer who's, yeah, jazz fusion is probably the best way to describe him. And from what I've heard, this kind of, I don't know to what degree this is an urban legend, but I, I do think this is accurate because I've heard this, read this story in a few places that he had like a nightmare one night about the kind of ecological catastrophe impending ecological catastrophe uh and apocalypse that is going to kind of befall humanity and like this future where we've colonized colonized the stars and the whole the whole album in fact the band generally is the the genre they play in is called zool uh, <laughs> not zool of ghostbusters fame it precedes it precedes that um but Zool is supposed to be, um, it's like a, a made-up language that essentially just steals sounds and pa- bits of words from German and Slavic languages. And There's it's an to... almost Italian-sounding bit at some point as well, at yeah, the end. I yeah, think. yeah, there, there will be. And, and he's French, and most of the band are French. Okay. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's supposed to be, like, all set on... A different planet which is set in the far future and these original uh what they call cobayans or the planets cobaya and like all these other humans are coming to visit to to take over cobaya essentially because they've had to leave their planet due to ecological collapse 
Um, there's not really a, a set narrative, given that the lyrics don't make sense and they don't try to make sense. They're just there to like make noises and be evocative, which, you know, a lot of it is based on German. So it's automatically <laughs> evocative when combined with the kind of music it is. Mm. Um, so that's the kind of background to the band. This is considered like probably their best album. By mo- yeah, most people would probably consider this the best album. Um um, nineteen seventy three, I think it was. Um, what was I gonna say? Yeah, maybe I'll just hand it over to you to to give me your thoughts. Well, for one thing, I'm I'm glad to finally have another song that I can't overanalyze because obviously I don't understand the lyrics. Um, I don't speak the made up language that they're speaking. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, like it it had this this vibe of being if i had to describe it generically i would call it like apocalyptic kraut rock yes um, yeah 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 cuz it's got yeah. that kind of like driving um groovy but mostly kind of very rhythmically persistent uh percussion to it yes yeah, that yeah. i i like in can for instance um things like that um and especially from um, the introduction, sorry, the, the bass line is really like a large part of that. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. And it's just like very persistent, very loud and quite muddy as well. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, that's just like on the topic of its groove. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I felt like uh, in in terms of how how it works, musically i felt like it kind of related back to um some of the stuff that we talked about for instance with when i was done dying again so um it's got that sense of being like a simple beginning that stays and builds constantly on itself um and the other dan deacon song that i mentioned um build voice does that even more so and right, i would yeah, argue yeah. also feels quite sublime yeah, yeah um i'll have to listen to that one and yeah and to me um the 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 feeling of listening to it rather than the sound of it in and of itself or uh the the subject matter um is what made it feel relevant to the playlist and the topic of the podcast um, yeah yeah me. um it kind of links into something that i don't think we've um we've uh touched on much but i think is is very relevant which is the idea of um like trance states and oh yes yeah, sort yeah. of repetition and monotony but also kind of um particularly like contagious dancey feelings yes um, yeah, yeah. Have, have been something which um humans have used for as long as we've been making music as dance and dancing yeah yeah uh, to sort of induce ecstatic states and transcendental states yeah yeah it's a good point i think when i was done dying is possibly the only other song that kind of has that going on um, well um that's also something that i wanted to bring in later as well with um one of your songs my, yes um yes. but um because because that for me is is something that um feels like a very important part of the musical sublime to me um the that sort of ecstatic response that it elicits mm-hmm. uh rather than the music itself sounding sublime or yes, like yeah. the sublime. um 
and I I was gratified to find that um, it it did get this look in um, in in your playlist as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What did you say as well? Um, apocalyptic, I think you said at some point. Yeah, and this song definitely has that feeling to me, and that kind of re- unrelenting, repetitive dum 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 with. Some people say it sounds like kind of like Wagnerian choir. I don't know enough about that to say whether that's like accurate. Um, but it does kind of remind me of that uh, O Fortuna, uh, Karl Orff, or like Jewel of the Fates. Yeah. Some, some of the vocals have that kind of vibe to it without really being it. Um, and almost like opera pastiche. Yes. Like yeah, that, yeah. that incredible falsetto that comes in. That that guy that guy has a weird voice, and I, I sometimes think like I I wish they didn't have him doing it. Um, and there's actually a really <laughs> good version as well. Yes, yeah. There's a really good version of it on YouTube where they played it, like two thousand and four or something. Um, and I don't know if that guy had left by this point, but I think it sounds actually better with. Um, I think a woman is actually doing those higher bits a bit more, and oh. I, I I to me it sounds a bit better. And um, in that version, the drums really come to the fore a bit more because I think this original studio one wasn't mixed quite as well. Um, and you've got this Christian Vander guy, the guy who wrote all the music and kind of put together the, the actual band. He's just this beast on these drums and he's just absolutely smashing it. Um, it really becomes clear how good of a drummer he is. Um, but I, I, I think that's actually... Me that. Yeah, well, I think that's Something. the better version and I think they do pretty much the whole album on it. Um, cool. And the whole the album as a whole is, yeah, it's probably fair to describe it as relatively monotonous. It, it's not necessarily it's not the same melody or anything, but it's a very similar feel all the way through it. It's like sometimes it's a bit less of a groove or a bit more piano led or something, but it's pretty unrelentingly dark. It's one of the songs that like, even if you didn't know that kind of backstory to what the band's um, setup was. Um, this just sounds, it sounds dark. It sounds, to me... Oppressive. Yeah, it's oppressive. And even before I knew, you know, what the band's concept was, my brain kind of connected it with that kind of 40, you know, Warhammer 40,000 kind of grim, dark thing, because it just sounds mm. like it to me. It just, it would be the perfect music if they ever made a movie for it. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it is that kind of like, uh, like feudal space fascism that's that's what it feels like to me Um, if you ever want to feel like you have a future jackboot stomping on your face yes yeah yeah yeah. attached Um, to a cyborg ubermensch yeah yeah yeah. listen to this song listen to this yeah yeah (laughs) so anyone who does want to feel that yeah there you go um and they they did should we take a break before um yeah yeah yeah. moving on to the next one the next one because i i think (laughs) the next one might take a while to talk about yeah yeah, yeah, we'll take a break. We'll take a break. <laughs> Tory Fanta. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Jay. <laughs> he says while chuckling. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, okay, right. So, you know, we've run most of the marathon now, but now we've got, you know, a good 500 metres to go, really. <laughs> um, that was a very stretched analogy, but we'll, we'll roll with it. Um, so... <laughs> this song always makes me cackle. Um, I just like introducing people to it because I don't know anyone who I've introduced this to who likes it. 
My little brother likes it, but we both kind of found out about this song at the same time. Right. Um. Anyway, enough of my 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 inane rambling. Um. It's called A Plague of Lighthouse Keepers. Good name. <laughs> yeah. I liked the name. Yeah, by Van de Graaff Generators off their album Porn Heart. I think that was 1971, maybe? That's P spelt with a W. Just. Yes, yeah, yeah, Porn. P A W N. you know about the context this is kind of the og of the overly long prog, <laughs> prog epics um so they all have a couple at least you know jethro tull have a couple like thick as a brick um mike oldfield released a lot of really long instrumental songs um yes started doing it kind of with close to the edge which was 18 minutes genesis have supper's ready so this is this i think this is one of the first might even started have... the arms race yeah, it started the arms race, and I think, as far as I'm concerned, you could argue that the the battle was finished and won as soon as this came out. Because <laughs> I I I genuinely love I genuinely really like this song. Um, it's a very classically inaccessible song, but I liked this as soon as I heard it. This was one of the first prog songs I ever heard, so that was probably a bit of a a portent in terms of. <laughs> saying how much I would like prog in the years to come. But I don't want to say too much before I hand it over to you. I'll just hand it over to you. Thoughts. So I'm going to first start off by saying that I liked it less than the other one. Um, It felt less uh, complete and less like a perfect version of itself than uh, the other Van de Graaff Generator song which, like we said, couldn't really be a moment shorter and doesn't really need to be a moment longer. It just is an excellent version of itself. It's really well-crafted. And I think the reason for my perception of it being that way is almost a matter of framing. I think I'd find it really cool and entire and well-connected if it was presented as an EP um, of individual tracks. Right, right, But um, the fact that it's one song makes me feel like, oh, no, it's it's really inaccessibly disjointed and I don't like the movement between the the phases. um, And it doesn't really feel continuous in any particular way. Um, It almost feels like um, it was written quite disconnectedly um, like either there were different people writing it or different bits were written at diff- very different times um, you are you are completely right on that I mean that that was not never anything that ever occurred to me because I think it is <laughs> oh my god that cut. <laughs> 
He's it's very like, loud. He's like a model. No, no, no. I just got the <laughs> like the side on like the, he was like no, no. Take it from this. This is my best side. This is my best it's side. My perfect profile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, to me, it, well, it, it's clearly disjointed, but it always felt appropriately disjointed, and I always liked mm. that about it. But yeah, yeah, it was written and recorded piece by piece whilst they were on tour. Okay. Um, so in different studios, probably in different countries. Um, so that will, I I never picked up on that. So that was yeah quite, quite good of you to do that because it never occurred to me. Um, but it is true. Um, sorry, I'll let you go on because I I think I interrupted a bit. Yeah, I think what um, what twigged that for me was it feeling lyrically inconsistent, and I think maybe I mean that a little bit in terms of the quality being a bit uneven, uh, lyrically, but also um it feels like there's there's different kind of preoccupations at different parts of the song and there's different uh different authors kind of pulling it in different directions wanting it to be about different things mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong that's kind of cool about it it makes it really interesting to think about um and and examine in the way that we are but um it I think made it just less pleasing for me. Mm-hmm. But um as I said, I did think it was really cool and a really, really solid ending to um the playlist as well. I think it really filled a good niche. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a lot of like individual bits that I really like. Um so like we mentioned um the instruments that van de graaff generator uses being unconventional rock instruments and used in unconventional ways um so like for instance i really like the saxophone and is it clarinet in this as well uh yeah i think it probably will be there there might be a lot of like different saxes so it'll be it'll be one guy but he might be doing like a bit of alto and a bit of bass and stuff like that different synthesizers on them and stuff um yeah he might he might have played a bit of clarinet i'm not 100 percent sure but there's, yeah, there's definitely, like, organ, piano, vibraphone mm. in it. Drums, obviously. Yeah. There is electric guitar on this. In fact, yep. Robert Fripp, Robert Fripp of King Crimson, mm. plays briefly on this. Um, it's quite subtle. It's not necessarily contributing very much. It's in one of the cacophonous bits. So there's a the lot going bits. on there. <laughs> the frippy bits, yeah, yeah, yeah. Frippery. Um, yeah, frippery. Um, Um, yeah but like i I really like how um the saxophone and possible clarinet uh are used in this way that is almost in like complete inversion to how saxophone is usually used you know to, to bring in this kind of like um soulful and soaring quality whereas in this it's like used to drive some of the bigger dronier doomier sounds and i mean doom in like the the doom metal sense yes yeah um, yeah sono and stuff i was gonna Um, say as well um i find it weird that actually to me something like the darkest passages in popular music like broadly defined mm. aren't from the electric guitar they're often on like woodwind and brass so the kind of again the og of dark hard rock is king crimson uh Mm. 21st century schizoid man and i think it makes 
it makes Black Sabbath sound like ABBA as far as I'm concerned. And <laughs> Black Sabbath. Yeah, Black Sabbath. <laughs> and I, like the electric guitar doesn't really figure very heavily in that song. I mean, mm. it is throughout it. There's a bit of the guitar bit in the middle. Um, but it's not an overly, like, horribly distorted guitar. It's not massively in your face. And the main riff throughout the bit with the vocals, most of the volume from that is coming from multi-layered dub, overdubbed, like, woodwind and saxophone and that sounds so much more cacophonous and huge than it would have on electric guitar and i think it's because it sorry no no i was just gonna say i was literally gonna say and you get the same thing here um i I think it's because with those instruments you can you know if you layer it up you can get the kind of the bassier sounds the full sounds and then you can also get like a more shrill yeah, it's probably. I, I mean, I don't play the instruments, so I don't really know. But I think there's a kind of purposely out of tune vibe to it a lot of the time in both this song and Twenty uh, First Century Schizoid Yeah, Band. and they're I guess really they also leaning on that sound. Uh, maybe a lot more like not necessarily human voices, but animal voices. Yes, the yeah, fact yeah. that sounds can only be breath length, for instance. Yeah, you can yeah, only yeah. have a lung full of sound at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's really easy to make a bellow or a scream or something. Um, and yeah, like I think I agree actually. A lot of um songs that have felt really sort of disquieting to me and often quite uh uncomfortable um have have used saxophone to that effect yeah um, yeah. it can sound really ominous i know you don't like david lynch but um <laughs> the um the soundtrack in um a lot of his work especially twin peaks um a lot of the work that angelo badalamenti did for him uses sax and woodwind um to that effect very well i, um, I, I mean i don't like david lynch but also interestingly i do feel at times this song can be like the David Lynch of music in that kind of disquieting <laughs> sense. The only thing is different is it's more the kind of disquieting element of it. To me, David Lynch has always felt cheap and tacky. I don't I don't know how else to describe it. And I don't know whether that's I assume that's purposely and is there's a kind of I don't know whether it's irony or what he's trying to do with it. But I don't feel that with this song it's very this song highlighting is still... the artificiality of verisimilitude in media jacob right there you go that's what he's doing and i, I don't like that i don't like that that's not it's not something I, I don't dislike him for it and i'm not like mega against it it just doesn't like vibe with my aesthetics right um and i think this is actually it will be interesting when we get to your song because your songs that you suggested and not that i don't didn't like them but to me they almost felt too postmodern or like too they almost had that they were less naive. I think that's the word mm. I came to. That like all my songs, there's a naivety to them, and I don't mean that in the pejorative sense. Just in the kind of straightforward. Uh, what's the best way to sum up that meaning of naive? As in it, it's sincere isn't necessarily the right word, but it's 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 kind of. I don't know. <laughs> what am I trying to say? I I think I know what you mean. It's it's almost like um in terms of their their goals and the idea of art that they're aiming for and aiming to participate in yes it's yeah. straightforward um, yeah yeah and even when it isn't like van der graaf generator it's still a bit it's a bit um it's consciously not straightforward in a way but it's kind of straightforward in its mm. lack of straightforwardness i don't know how to say it <laughs> but yeah 
we're on the right episode to be having these kind of circular yeah, there's yeah. this thing that I can't quite describe, but yeah, it's really yeah. important to describe it, but it's yeah. indescribable. Yes, yeah, yeah. So like um I don't want to get too much into your songs, but we'll we'll stick to this. Um it's it's disquieting without feeling postmodern, I guess. It doesn't have that um it's still kind of the world is the world and I, the song is dealing with it still in a straightforward way, way. It's just psychologically a bit messed up, this song, mm. I think. Um, in your like, So what do you think the song is about? Um, I don't think there's a clear narrative to it, but from what no. I've read, Peter Hamill certainly thought there was. <laughs> the last one felt like a story song. This feels like a journey song. Yeah. Um, and to me, it was kind of um, the first one to really deal with... Um, what I feel a little bit guilty having to describe as like the Lovecraftian sublime, like the Eldritch yes. sublime. Yes, we we're um, going to get onto that. Yes, going for with it. Yeah. Um, so, like, there, there's this particularly in the first half of the song. There's this really strong sense of, um, I think, like sublime and gothic horror it's yeah. like not so much um the uh unreachability of the sublime or the idea that the sublime is anything good or blissful mm -hmm. it's this sense of having this enormous other perceiving you as opposed to the song being about you perceiving the sublime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll begin to wonder if the points of all the ancient myths are solemnly directed at you. It's not enlightenment, but it's revelation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's almost um, like a kind of revelation that is more than you can handle or more than you want it's this real kind of pandora's box feeling i guess yeah like, yeah the walls are thin as tissue and if i talk i'll crack the glass there's like this sense of paralysis in that revelation and i'm i'm probably completely butchering the the flow of of journey but uh narrative but journey uh, by by jumping from from lyric to lyric, but that was the feeling that I got. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, but then I think it kind of um, kind of switches about halfway through, and I I felt like there was this sense that this enormous other that is perceiving the speaker is removed, and instead, and you're left alone with yourself, and by looking into the void. The void is almost this kind of black mirror, this reflective surface that okay, confronts confronts you only with your own self. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm used to the light. I don't think I see right, for I blind me. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really underlines how melodramatic the song is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Melodrama is is a good word. It's very purple. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which is why it's perfect. Um, the perfect song to compare to H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, yeah. I, less racist. Yeah, which is obviously brilliant because I think that's the main thing that gets in my the way of my enjoyment of Lovecraft. Like, I, I don't mind the stupidity of it. Mm. But sometimes you're reading a story and you're like, oh, this is really stupid and fun. 
oh, it's all, oh, it's horrifically racist. Oh, Jesus Christ! Why did he have to yeah. do that? Like, I, I'm on like, board with the stupidity. I'm, I'm, I'm def, I'm, I'm ahead of him on the stupidity. Like, <laughs> I'm waiting for him to catch up. Yeah. That's why I go to him. But, oh my God, yeah, um, yeah. For, like, I think when we were both reading The Fisherman, we were both basically saying like, oh yeah, fuck. Like, the best thing about Lovecraft is when Lovecraft stops being the author. Yeah, yeah. And other people start writing in that tradition. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, if, being... if anyone's listening, I would recommend if you're into like Lovecraftian horror at all, um, which we should probably define. But I'll, I'll do that in a sec. Uh, you should read a this book. song. This song you should it. a listen to this song <laughs> and b read a book called The Fisherman by an author whose name I can't remember. Oh, uh, it's nope. It's gone. <laughs> I had the book. <laughs> Somewhere that I thought I knew was in my book uh, somewhere, but uh, it's a good it's a good book. Um, I read that book I think in like two like a day. I read it within twenty four hours um, because you recommended yeah, like it. It's, it's I, a very compulsive read. Yeah, 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 you recommended it. I think I just downloaded it one night and I started reading it from about ten p.m. I think <laughs> I just read it for about six or seven hours straight and went to bed like at a stupid time. And then, and then I just read the rest of it the next day, and I was like, oh, yeah, I really, I really like that. Um, but the horror in it hinges on something that I think the horror in this song also hinges on, yeah, which yeah. is that sense of something that is living and is possibly a mind, but that is so huge that it seems like it shouldn't exist and you can't comprehend it whatsoever. And so it's like a kind of corporeal sublime. Yeah, yeah. Like a physical sublime. And yeah, that's which, which is somehow way worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so, way worse than, like, something metaphysical. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyone listening, like, Lovecraftian horror, or just cosmic horror, I guess is also what it's called, mm. is, I mean, it is what we've just said, I guess. We just kind of described it. It's, it's horror at the, not the indifference of the universe, but, like, the hostility of the universe. Like, humans are pitiful, small, weak beings compared to, you know, these ancient godlike aliens, A, in the first place, and B, you know, the kind of depths of time, and I don't know how else to describe the, the it. The enormity know. of nature, yes, or yeah. um, the other. Yeah, yeah. What, and whereas, is what we are not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And whereas some traditions or some versions of the sublime see that as like a good thing or you know like I, I think it's been a kind of a typical line of like modern science that you know the universe is indifferent and all this kind of thing whereas for Lovecraft and the people who are following that tradition the universe you know the enormity of the universe isn't a beautiful b isn't even indifferent and b is openly hostile mm. in fact it's only hostile when it notices us it's so far beyond us that most of the time we, we you know we're ants in its way if it does notice us though you know it gets its magnifying glass out and <laughs> um i think that's the best way to describe it um yeah. and that's and where they... that horror of being perceived by something yes that, um is so much more enormous than you comes in yeah yeah and it's a weird song because actually like really basically what it is about um or what is written about um, is a lighthouse keeper who is, you know, alone and feels like a horrendous sense of guilt for all the people who he wasn't able to save who mm. crashed upon the rocks and stuff. And his 
feeling of guilt, psychological breakdown. And then at the end, he either finds solace in, you know, what he's tried to do or he kills himself. And it's kind of open-ended as far as Peter Hamill is concerned. As far as I'm concerned, it's even more open-ended than that because that's not necessarily a narrative I got. Yeah, I mean, I got bits of the narrative, obviously, to some degree. It's about lighthouse keeping because it's in the title and also... It's a very nautically themed song. <laughs> yeah, and there's like these these sounds which feel like call and response foghorns. Yes, the, yeah, the yeah. sax or sax and or clarinet in it. Yeah, yeah. It was used to great effect doing that. It's bits where the drums kind of sound like a steam, steam steamboat, which I really like as well. Yeah. Um, but for most, for me, it's just really a. It's a song that really resists understanding. Like, yeah, okay, he, that's what he thinks it's about, but <laughs> the song's not really about that. It really is just a feeling of Lovecraftian horror to me. And again, it, there are like so many like adjacent terms to sublime lovecraftian horror grim dark whatever but one of the ones that yeah one of the ones my mind goes to for this song is there's a great subreddit for thassalophobia thassalophobia isn't it oh yeah there we go and it's just you the fear of the deep is it technically the deep sea or just the fear of the sea i think it's just the the ocean itself the ocean yeah the idea of its enormity and depth and yes, yeah, yeah. incomprehensibility and indifference is, I think, yeah, yeah. Like, pretty heavily implied. Yeah, yeah. And it's a great subreddit because a lot of it is based around like Lovecraftian mm. monsters in the deep, but some of it isn't. It's just about, I mean, it just is about any image <laughs> that inspires in you a fear of the ocean. Um, and I think this song, yeah, definitely does that, especially for the first part. Uh, some of the lyrics are, you know, my fingers feel like seaweed, I'm so far out, I'm too far in, which is partly nonsensical, but just evocative of, like, horrible, clammy, drowning sensation. I, do you know what I mean? There's tons of things wrapped up in there. Um, there are lots of really good lyrics in it. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I, I don't know if I felt like I came away, like really impressed with the lyrics in the same way that I did with um, either Surf's Up or um, Childlike Faith in Childhood's End. But there is some really good lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but Especially... also some that are a bit jank. Yeah, yeah. So, so let, let's highlight some of the jankier ones. One, one of my favourite bits is the bit where he goes, Chance has lost my Guinevere! <laughs> <laughs> with the um, sort of like John Lydon snare yeah, yeah, in his yeah. voice um, <laughs> and uh, also um, for me as well the bit where he says which can is the best I may it's like yeah, yeah. bro you could have just said what's the best I can do there was no <laughs> reason like rhyme or otherwise for you to phrase that the way that you did <laughs> nah you don't get it man that's just that's I'm just... impressed by his audacity but also like <laughs> He needs to know that there is a line. There is a there is a line, Peter. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I'm just trying. I've got the lyrics in front of me now, and it's like a it's like a novel. Oof. <laughs> yeah, it's very long. Yeah. I do feel like maybe some of the last bit is a little bit on the nose. Yeah. So camp, a, camps like... of so camps of panoply and majesty. I quite I quite like that. I mean, it's over the <laughs> it's, top. It's nicely euphonious though. Yeah, it's quite yeah. nice to, to hear. Camps of panoply and majesty. What is freedom of choice? But then, just what is freedom of choice? Oh, don't just say it. Don't just you know. Mm. Um, where do I stand in the pageantry? Whose is my voice? I like that a bit more. Um, yeah. It doesn't feel so very bad now. I think the end is the start. I begin to feel feel very glad now. All things are apart. I thought apart. that was a bit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think he has a all tendency. All things are apart, but also all things are a part. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think he has a tendency. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does have a tendency to kind of want to sum up the entire song with like a little mm. anthemic snappy line and he does it a bit in childlike faith um but it works better um yeah. so yeah the last line of childlike faith is in the death of mere humans life shall start um and it's it's good yeah like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it works yes, whereas yeah, yeah. with this uh that final line is almost too easy yes yeah um, yeah yeah, and yeah. it feels a bit amateurish by comparison. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Um, but musically and like melodic, melodically, I'm on board with all of it. <laughs> I think some of the, as you said, some of the lyrics are a bit janky or whatever. But most of the music is very ugly, and some of it particularly gets really ugly when they just like overdub themselves. Like mm -hmm. I think I read somewhere like twenty times. It's just a complete cacophony. <laughs> but I think it works so effectively. And the fact that there are some kind of like more piano, almost piano-led ballad bits in it really serves to highlight the difference between comparative placid beauty and just sheer straightforward chaos. Again, yeah, like yeah. the bit where um, the piano comes in and it's quite melodic and um, yes, yeah, yeah. almost recaptures that kind of musical theatricality that's present in Childlike Faith. Um, yeah, yeah. It really highlights where we've come from yes, <laughs> by yeah, that yeah. contrast yeah yeah but even at those points he, he has his voice almost I would almost say spiteful even when he's trying to sound beautiful there's almost like a a, a tone of spite within it and I don't know if that's quite the right word but there's something yeah, in like there where he's yeah and I, yeah. I, I've never heard him I've not listened to all of his solo career because there's a lot of it um, but I've never really heard him just try to do that. But again, that's just his aesthetic sensibility, <laughs> as you can probably tell listening to these, that he's he's not just going to write a song that is just a normal good song. Like, he's nice either... and good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just kind of really out there. <laughs> I don't know how else yeah. to describe it. Um, yes, and this one is very purple prose at points. I mean, it's not prose, is it? But um, it's very purple um, Maelstrom of my memory is a vampire and it feeds on me. Staggering madly over the brink, I fall and the whole music just kind of <laughs> falls with it. Maelstrom of my memory is a vampire and it feeds on me. Now staggering madly over the brink, I fall. Um, I mean, I, I really like that bit. 
but it's so bombastic and it is just like there is a line <laughs> um but sometimes i like that line to be crossed and i'm glad he crossed it so brazenly yeah yeah again overreach but um you you still end up somewhere that maybe no one else would have Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I say this a lot on this playlist, but I love this song. I really do. <laughs> Trying to get people to like it is, <laughs> is obviously an uphill challenge sometimes, but I like introducing it to people. Because to me, um, with popular music, I, well, I, I, whenever I talk about popular music, I, I talk about it in the broadest sense. It includes everyone, you know, the Beatles, ABBA, Justin Bieber, whatever, all the way through can and Van de Graaff Generator, they're in the same kind of umbrella. Obviously, they're doing totally different things. But I, th I think there's no clear line between pop and rock, for example. Mm. And subgenres always get a bit muddy. So I just talk about popular music generally, and which I do think is distinct from jazz. And I think, you know, even jazz and pop, popular music, there's bits where they kind of overlap. They cross-pollinate. And... Yeah. Um, but I, I, it feels it's quite hard to separate one thing within popular music from another although it's very obvious that there's a big difference between bony m and gentle giant <laughs> um but for me a song like this you really kind of have to get rid of your presuppositions about popular music and just be like well it's not all just accessible <laughs> and it's not all trying to be good music in the same way and to me this is almost like the horror film of music mm. That's how I, I guess how I think of it. Like we all understand that films can do totally different things. You got like a lighthearted comedy, and like a brutal horror film. It's very hard to say that one is better or worse than the other because they're just totally different. And I think the analogy I'm making is that popular music as a genre is kind of like the whole of film. You know, there's you can do different things within that, and yeah, it's a I medium, think, not a genre. Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess I like. I like people to, to listen to this partly because I think it's funny when people hate it so much because <laughs> a lot of people really hate it. Um, I mean, I've, who else I've, have you shown this to that has really hated it? Uh, Karen, Karen hates it. She, mm. she, she really hates it. Um, I, I don't think she's she's not listened to the whole thing, but I never I never play it out loud because I just know that it would it would be headache inducing. But there are certain bits of it she's heard and she's been like, "What?" Um, a few other people, as I said, my little brother likes it. Um, I don't know if he likes it as much as I do, but I think he might because I can just like I can go to like Facebook Messenger and just send him like a random lyric, and he'll just reply with the next lyric. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he clearly knows it well enough to to reply. Um, um, a few people like uh our friend Alex Clark from uni. He he was yeah. less antagonistic towards it than I might have hoped. To be honest, he was like, yeah, a bit of it I liked, but some of it was just hideous, which is true. Um. Yeah, I don't know, a lot of people. Um, what was I going to say as well? Oh, and kind of what we said before, you, you said this, you know, it's very gothic. Mm. And to me, this is, I think it's because I heard this so early in like my musical development or whatever you want to call it when I was like 13, 14. To me, this kind of became the benchmark and this band generally for like gothic that every time I was, when I actually got round to hearing music that is called gothic, I was like, "Hey," <laughs> I was like, "This just this doesn't sound this to me." This is a closer analogy to gothic architecture than gothic mm, music or is. 
Yes, do you know what I mean? Uh, it feels more in line with that. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but to me this this feels more gothic in the original sense than goth music, which to me just sounds like pop. It really it sounds very poppy. Mm. Um, and I noticed the playlist you put together and sent to me, I don't know whether it was in reference to the Sublime, but you also put, um, what did you put on? Typo negative. Yes, you did. And to me, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I listened to it like a little bit before. I did not I like. Got to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> no, I, I did not. No, no, sorry. I mean, I've listened to a bit of their stuff before. Right. I, this, I listened to that whole song. I did not like it. I didn't hate it, but it was to me that is just cheesy pop with like a really low down voice and sludgy guitar. I think like, it sounds like hair metal to me. But oh, it absolutely is. That yeah. song I put on there specifically so that I could play it to you at some point because <laughs> it is a fucking trip it's ridiculous i just i it's... found it a bit i think it's because i watched it as well with the music video and i was like i feel really i feel like i need to go for a shower like what yes. the fuck <laughs> is this but I, like, lots of people really like them and i i like maybe there's stuff i've not heard i'm not getting it and they don't sound gothic to me they sound like they sound quite compared to this they are bubblegum pop that's what do you know what i mean like if i if i yeah. want if yeah. i want gothic i i always feel like this maybe i'm just I kind of feel like if there are certain things if I want, I want the extreme version of it. And mm. to me, Plague of Lighthouse Keepers has that Lovecraftian cosmic gothic horror to the extreme, to the point of like, it is it is unpleasant and it's meant to be unpleasant. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of other gothic music that I've heard just, it feels quite tame. I know I've always ended up a bit disappointed by it. Um, a lot of what I like that um, could be described as goth, which is a genre that is tentatively near and dear to my heart, um, <laughs> but that also I'm, I've been trying to recover from from like for like the last fifteen years, um, <laughs> uh, is very poppy and very catchy and yeah, yeah. kind of self consciously so. So like, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of typo negative, but I do enjoy how intentionally absurd and i think tongue-in-cheek they are right yeah, um, yeah. i mean if but, they are um, if they are that really say it's a saving grace yeah. for me <laughs> yeah the but song I, did, I think is deeply tongue-in-cheek i did um, feel dirty after having listened to it i was just like <laughs> like will that show up on my search history like are the F, like is it is it legal to watch this yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but yeah like whereas a lot of other stuff like um Sisters of Mercy, for instance, is is very very poppy. Yeah, it's, it's produced mm. by Jim Steinman. All their really good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not Meatlovian. I wouldn't say that's a concept <laughs> that's come up before on this podcast. Still my um, favorite. Still my favorite adjective. I think of all time. So illustrative, um, but like is uh, is very much just like good catchy pop music. Whereas a lot of um, other stuff, which I would say exists within the kind of goth spectra even if you wouldn't call it um necessarily uh gothic rock or whatever um that does fall more within the category that um plague of lighthouse keepers does for instance where it's uncomfortable and confrontational and um dissonant and um kind of has the same feeling as uh gothic horror literature for example or um or even later sort of uh horror literature more sort of postmodern stuff like for instance uh jg ballard mm -hmm. things like that 
Um, so stuff like throbbing gristle or um, right. things that um, are, are a bit more challenging. I also like, but they don't have as big a place in my heart, right, <laughs> and yeah, I yeah. won't sort of go back and listen to them so much. Right, yeah, um, yeah. And they're not uh, sort of experimenting or challenging um, the boundaries of pop. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, the stuff that I like aren't challenging the boundaries of pop in the same way that right, um, yeah, yeah. a lot of stuff that usually messes around with um, electronic uh, making of music mm-hmm. um, does in the same way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there, there's very much a sliding scale um, yeah, yeah. that also exists. Yeah, yeah, I get you, I get you. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that was a kind of a sidetrack. A sidetrack away from the genius of Van der Graaff Generator. <laughs> well, thank you, Jacob, for making me listen to not one, but two organ-driven Van der Graaff Generator epics. Oh, I thought you were going to say not one, but two hours of... <laughs> of Van der Graaff Generator. Um, um, no, I'm, gl- I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you liked yeah. it. Yeah. I think you had actually played me at least bits of um, Plague of Lighthouse Keepers before. Yes, I'm pretty um, sure I did, but I don't think we'd ever, I'd ever found the time to sit you down for 23 minutes. <laughs> and I don't know if I'd ever listened to them sober. Hey, uh, probably, I don't think so... you had. Yeah, yeah. No, this made a change. Uh... <laughs> but you, you did briefly mention before uh, Animal Collective, and I'm not sure because you put a song on the playlist. And I'm not sure if you want to talk about it very much, but I did have a, a couple things to say, and I, I do agree out of the ones you suggested. It is kind of more in line with mine. I still, I, I thought Brother Sport in particular was a great song. It's really cool. Yeah, that was the one that I really wanted to foreground. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like if you get certain elements of the Beach Boys, but add well, a make it a bit more modern, and b mm. add like a very definable groove to it. Yeah, um, which is a very cool very rhythmic in a way that the Beach Boys definitely are not yeah yeah exactly and it's very i thought it was very cool but i still yeah sublime i think is appropriate but for some reason my brain still wouldn't go to that just because there is a feel a more postmodern feeling to it especially in the middle where it almost feels like a deconstructed song Mm. and i think it comes back to my like aesthetic sensibilities like preferring the naive when it comes to this um although i I love I, i really like the song and i do think it is sublime in a sense it still almost isn't because of that more postmodern feel i don't know if you agree with that i, th- I think you might have more more postmodern like tendencies in that regard than me but um i don't know what are your thoughts do you, do you agree do you disagree so yeah i i think i agree with a lot of what you said um and i i also agree that Really, it doesn't warrant that much discussion uh, beyond just, like, getting your thoughts on it, because it kind of is sublime in in ways that we kind of broached on before. But the one thing I think that it does quite differently to um, other songs which do similar things on this playlist um, is that the sublimeness, to me, comes less from this idea of a one big thing or an enormous sense of space or scale or something, and more like just incredible granularity of small things. Yeah, Um, yeah, it does do that. The feeling of it feels very much like trying to... Sublime in the way that like trying to comprehend 
a hive of bees or something is. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. And I felt like that was a cool counterpoint. Yeah, yeah, um, it is. It is definitely, yeah. It definitely does that, both like musically and lyrically. It's it's busy, but yes. in this kind of um, this way that washes over you, um, and and feels quite uh, quite intense. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It is. Yeah, definitely intense. It has that intensity again, like the Beach Boys comparison in the way that the Beach Boys just, just it doesn't make sense in the same sentence with them. <laughs> um, but it's clear, not... clear influences though. I think, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their harmonies and stuff are very Beach Boysy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and it's an intensity which is very, very, very different to the Van de Graaff generator intensity. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a because it's still on the light side and it's positive. It, it sounds yeah. like at least to me and. Yeah, it's, it is that kind of like multitude thing that you said. Because mm. um, even with Van de Graaff Generator, even though there can be a lot of cacophony going on, it's still about one one blindingly intense thing. It's monolithic as opposed yes. to sort of plural. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Monolithic. There we go. That's the word. I like it. Um, yeah, I really liked it. And I've not, I, I think I listened to them a bit, mainly because of through the kind of Beach Boys like comparison that people make and the fact that they're. Exp- you know, I I definitely know they're influenced by them, but mm. I don't think I'd heard this one, or maybe I hadn't paid much attention to it. But I really liked it. Um, yeah, I think it's just one of those things. Like, you can do so many cool things with the human voice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, that's just that's just really cool. <laughs> yeah. And now for something, I guess. If oh, I was just going to briefly say. Oh, go, go ahead. Uh, just yeah. just very briefly, you should listen to. Uh, Cool, cool water by the Beach Boys. It's probably the the closest they come to this kind of song by Animal Collective. Cool. It's still the Beach Boys, so it's not quite. <laughs> but um, to me, I, I I would be surprised if this wasn't the main one of the main things that Animal Collective were talking about when they talk about their Beach Boys influence. Um, cool. Yes, cool, cool, cool water. In fact, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, you you're gonna move on to uh, I think. Dream baby dream, were you? Yeah. Um, well, oh, were you? Suicide in general. Because um, I, I tried to find an individual song which would really express why I felt like they were relevant to this discussion. Yeah. Um, and that relevance really comes back to that idea of kind of trance states and um, repetition and um, monotony creating this kind of like ecstatic state in humanity that mm-hmm. you know for, for millennia has been used to try and touch the beyond you know yeah yeah and it um, kind of does connect sorry very briefly to um what we said in the first episode like the religious part of sublime yeah because like there's traditions of like meditation and prayer is essentially a form of meditation isn't it really um yeah and yeah it does kind of connect with that sorry that's that's all I had to say about that, and I interrupted you for it. So. No, absolutely. <laughs> like, um, it's it's very much a kind of um, that kind of ecstatic uh, technique or process has been used in numerous religions over the course of human history and human prehistory. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and what I find interesting about suicide the band um what i find, they... what I find interesting about suicide <laughs> yeah i'm glad you, you said specify. you gotta specify yes um is that they 
use it not so much to touch anything uh, aspirational or divine or that kind of sublime, and more like to just create the feeling in and of itself. And the overwhelming feeling that um, I think they they produce through that is this intense feeling of discomfort. Yes, um, yeah, like yeah. It, I would say their music is very confrontational. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For something which clearly, like, in terms of its references um, and inspirations, comes from bubblegum pop, comes from those girl groups, you know, the Shangri-Las and stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and from, like, early rock and roll. Um, yeah, I, I guess for, for this song in particular, I got like quite heavy Roy Orbison vibes from it for some reason. Yeah, it's a bit of that to it. Yeah, um, and and kind of um, Buddy Holly and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, um, but uh, they use that um, to go in this very strange direction, and a direction that I think was quite new like mm -hmm. they were formed in 1970 um and their their debut album which is kind of the big sort of groundbreaking um you know uh sound establishing one um was from 1977 um mm -hmm. and so like they were i think pretty uh foundational and, and groundbreaking in a whole bunch of ways like they were one of the first bands to use uh drum machines for instance and um, while they started out using um, some kind of organ um, mm -hmm. as their main instrument, um, alongside just Alan Vega's weird, twitchy, high-strung, mumbly, almost improvisational-feeling vocals, mm -hmm. um, they um, they moved on to synthesizers um, and basically were kind of the first, um, one of the first electro-pop mm -hmm. groups. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's interesting that something which became such a kind of pop mainstay mm -hmm. um, came from something so um, uncomfortable and um, yeah, yeah. and and nervy, yes, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and disquieting feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad you said all that because I definitely felt that, and I didn't want to just trash the song you put on here because I was listening to it first time I listened to it. I was like, okay, yeah, it's quite, it's quite nice. And then like after a while, you're like. Stop being nice. Is, uh... You get to the end of the six minutes twenty, and you're like, oh, "I feel a bit weird about this one." I like, and not in a bad way. I did. I like. It is. It's. It's certainly not bad. Um, I did enjoy it. I. I did, it's never the kind of thing I could love. I think. Mm. This is. I think this is where we get to a clearer difference between like, your idea of sublime and mine, and like re rep repetition is much less a part of mine. There were a few songs on my list where like there was a bit more of a groove but for the most part i think it's just for the most part music i like generally i'm like if any song ha if, if you've got like a three minute pop song and it's like you know it's it's got three different parts to it and it changes a lot that's you know i'm on it i'm like oh i love it it's got this section it's got this section whereas repetition i'm usually mm -hmm. less keen on for some reason it's just just my sensibility i i, I tend to be like Right, come on, next bit. Where's the next bit? All right, yeah. okay, you've had a verse in the chorus, but you know you need to change it up a bit now. Um, That's why I thought it was cool to bring this in and yeah, yeah. how that repetition and that monotony and, and kind of 
flat uh almost forcefulness of it um can and historically has been used to connect with the sublime as well yeah yeah because yeah, i felt like that wasn't something that came through in um yeah yeah, yeah. much except maybe in when i was done dying yes yeah 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 that one definitely more so than all the others um on my playlist but even then i i felt like when i listen to it i feel there's a very clear like it's always that same rhythm and it's you know pretty much the same chord progression it's very simple mm. musically in so many ways but there's kind of stuff going on with the production that is dynamics that are very peaks and troughs yeah um this song is a lot more like this is what we're gonna do and we're gonna keep doing it we're gonna and... keep doing it at yeah. you yeah yeah <laughs> until we stop yeah yeah how, how... their live performances were very intense for that reason <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah i can imagine how how big were they then because i hadn't actually heard two of people them. oh no, sorry. Well, sorry you mean big um yeah, yeah. big sales uh... or fame or whatever i don't know about sales necessarily um but they were hugely influential they were yeah, yeah. like one of the one of the first um bands to self-identify as punk for one thing right okay they yeah. came from kind of the 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 1970s new york proto-punk scene yeah, yeah. um which was very glam as well interesting yes, yeah yeah um so well, gl like, glam and punk have always shared yeah. a lot of kind of musical characteristics i think yeah like um <sighs> And I think that comes through um, in in terms of how like a lot of for me that that 1970s New York glam kind of comes from this weird combination of like the sleaze and energy of the Rolling Stones and maybe like some of the production and flat intensity of like Phil Spector and girl group production. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah and yeah. <laughs> I think uh, Suicide are very heavy on the, on the girl group side. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. More. Um, but like, yeah, I think they were one of those one of those bands that um, made basically one record that changed music, and that um, kind of like the Velvet Underground, like not that many people listened to, but the mm -hmm. people that did went away and made other music that everyone listened to. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I see, I see. Yeah, I I hadn't heard of them at all, which is a bit embarrassing. But in my my excuses, it's not really my scene, so. Yeah. I, can, I can i can pretend that, that that's a good and they're one of those bands that i would never judge anyone for saying that they don't like it or it's yeah, yeah. It's a, I, I i i yeah i don't think i could say i loved it but it's something i will listen to again and i will listen to more of their stuff i just realized i got a song called sheree and a song called shay <laughs> do they yep. like do they like c-h-e is that a thing they like maybe like it, <laughs> i i think um a lot of their music to me sounds like it was written very improvisationally, very much in a kind of jam setting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I guess maybe those could just be like schwa's, which Alan Vega comes back to. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he's just having to say and do things vocally for <laughs> a length of a song to to be present within it because yeah, yeah, all yeah. he does is vocals. Yeah, yeah, okay, um, yeah. Well, now you're making him sound almost definitely. like he has an approach similar to like Van Morrison. A bit, like that I think, yeah. But like in a weird way, I'm starting to think like it's very different, but it almost sounds like a similar approach to like Astral Weeks. If you know that Van Morrison album. I, I know the album. What do you mean by that? It's just, it is very like, uh, it's a lot more repet 
repetitive than some of his later albums. Some of them aren't just straightforward. Like, you know, he does a lot more like straightforward soul songs, but on this it's more like mm-hmm. long drawn out acoustic jams where he just kind of improvises or semi-improvises a lot of vocals and does Van Morrison things over it. Obviously it's very different, yeah. but it almost seems like it has a similar approach in a totally different genre. Yeah, I, I feel I don't know how um their self-titled album was was made really yeah, yeah, yeah. um but i i wouldn't be surprised yeah i definitely see the comparison yeah well so what's going on with this album cover is it it's like fuck knows it's also like kind of looks like the first uh stereotypical metal album cover doesn't it <laughs> oh so that's you know, an the e- horrible that's... font yeah yeah that's like a cover for the ep um oh which uh which, which... album are you talking about so i was looking oh, at an EP. yeah which i it's very punk. It's very like seventies punk, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this was a later song as well. Um, oh, was it? Okay. Um, yeah. So if we look at the nineteen seventy-seven, oh wow, that is very like that could be a Slayer album cover if it was yeah. <laughs> changed changed a little bit. Um, so the songs are quite long. Oh, there's a ten-minute song on there, and some of them are like two minute forty seconds. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, um, rock and roll or girl group jams. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting band then. So what was the guy called? Was he just... Uh, it's Alan Vega, uh, who's the, the singer, and um, Martin Rev, uh, who's the instrumentalist. Did they do? Did they, did they last as a band or did they... They're still making music, yeah. Oh, they? Um, they went like decades occasionally without putting anything out, but they've done a lot of albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they've done like collaborations with... Um, collaborations with people as well. I think... Um, to go back to goth, uh, Alan Vega did a collaboration with Andrew Eldritch from the Sisters of Mercy. Okay, yeah. Um, and yeah, they, um, they, they, I have no idea how they've like survived as a business model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they've kept making music and people seem to keep letting them do that. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, they did stuff in the noughties. Yeah, yeah, I saw that on, um, on Spotify, I was gonna say weirdly, um, Van de Graaff Generator and Peter Hamill were actually quite influential on lots of like British punk, and a lot of them, mm-hmm. British punk is vocally. I can see how that would work, definitely. Yeah, yeah, like obviously punk is like the complete antithesis of prog, mm. and they used to—I <laughs> can't remember—was they used to burn like an effigy of Keith Emerson. <laughs> um, but... And the Sex Pistols famously had that fuck Pink Floyd T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, th- I think it was even I think it was Johnny Rotten who was quite keen on Peter Hamill. I could be wrong, but I think there was quite a few. Um, so it's weird how like they can share like similar mm. space in a weird way that doesn't seem intuitively obvious. And I think actually a lot of what I liked about the sax sounds in the two Van der Graaff Generator songs that you um, I don't want to say made me listen to, but I listened <laughs> to and enjoyed um, was that it reminded me of uh, the way that x-ray specs use sax it mm. where it is quite um discordant and weird and yeah, yeah. Um, you'll have to send me an example because i don't really know them very okay. well there's a really good um well uh good example would be um oh bondage up yours where sax is um used really kind of aggressively and confrontationally and um yeah sounds very punk but also um a kind of droning, meandering, but quite kind of discordant sax is used in um, uh, germ-free adolescence as well, mm-hmm. uh, okay. which is probably my favourite song by them. Um, 
and that has a really good sax solo for instance yeah yeah i was gonna say interestingly so it says oh bondage up yours on um spotify which was covered by yola tengo who i know covered a beach boy song so we've gone full circle we have oh, oh wow <laughs> there is unity in all all things are apart there you go see peter hamill was right all along you were wrong to mock him james uh, I'm going to have to listen to that Oh Bondage Up Yours. Uh, and I keep saying the full title because it's funny. And it's I don't, there aren't many titles with two exclamation marks in it. Um, no, I feel but like, this earns uh, both. Okay, uh, okay, I'm going to have to listen to it. And... I think she's also just one of the best vocalists in punk as well. Personally. Yeah, okay. Um, she's one of the only people who can kind of... People talk about a lot about like Mariah Carey's whistle pitch and stuff like that. But... Um, uh, Polystyrene, um, the girl from X-Ray Specs, um, she's one of the only people who can hit a note that makes her voice break and then go beyond it and have her voice break again. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I like it. On a completely different note, that Rolling Stones song, Give Me Shelter, mm -hmm. and that woman, that woman's vocals. Oh, yeah. When she's screaming, is it just rape, murder... Um, and her voice just cracks and then breaks again. But it yes. sounds... That's one of the... I mean, I'm not a huge Rolling Stones fan, but that is one of like the best vocal bits in any song. It just... Mm. I don't know. I don't even know why it's so good. It just is. It's it's amazing. Sometimes... I think this touches onto something that I really like and that really does it for me in music in general, which is just a sense of, like, vocal performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that ha absolutely has it. And I think it's just because you're listening to it and it's just, it, it's such a, it's not like a studio perfect version of it, mm. which makes it sound like much more like it's a very concrete recording of one specific moment in time. Yeah, like and you probably couldn't redo that. Exactly, yeah, it's just one thing that happened and it, that, that's it. And I think it really helps that you can hear Mick Jagger's reaction to it immediately, like on the track. It's just, it's just so good. Uh, I don't know what else to say, I mean... That's a completely... Yeah, songs that have that, like, one take and it was the one quality to them. Yes, yeah, yeah. I just... I think, actually... Because I, I saw it... The reason it's so fresh in my mind is well, it was on TV a few weeks ago where they were talking to... I can't remember what her name is, the singer and Mick Jagger, about that. And I think, actually, they recorded her a few do a few takes of it, and they were like, oh, yeah, that sounds good, that sounds good, but let's let's do it again. I don't think they really quite knew what they were looking for because they mm. said the recordings so far were great. Um, and they just did it this one last time, and her voice broke, and he was just like, <laughs> yes! yes! That's, that's what we were one. waiting for. <laughs> that's our kid! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just so... Oh, I don't know, I could gush about that, but I don't really have anything interesting to say other than it's amazing. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, Some stuff is just good. Yeah, exactly. And then I think that there we go. There we go. That's the perfect epitaph. <laughs> That's it. To That's this. the takeaway. Some things are just good, and some things are just sublime, and it's very hard to describe why. Which is why we failed over the last few hours. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There we go. We tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it didn't even matter. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's us then. Thank you very much, yeah. James. This has Thank been really fun. Time. Thank you very it's much for good. having me on. Yeah, I'll thank you.